Friends, it's uh, great to be uh, with you, and uh, it's great to see uh, so many friends. Uh, Next Sunday, uh, it will be 10 years since Sue and I were standing up here uh, being farewelled by the church uh, as we went uh, to take on our role as senior pastor in another Baptist church on the south side of uh, Brisbane, and then there for four years, and then the last six years, we've been at the Bible College where I've been teaching there. Um, During that time, of course, Dale and Jodie came. Uh, and uh, so having the opportunity to mentor Dale and uh, see him through college and being part of his induction into the very role that I had 10 years ago, I feel like I've come full circle. Um, Rob Crago kindly said that I hadn't changed in the 10 years since he saw me. Um, Well, I'm still a cranky eel supporter, so yeah, nothing's changed, I guess. Um, Wearing glasses now to read, um, so I am getting older. But uh, thank you very much to Pastor Duncan for the opportunity and invitation to speak because really Duncan is coming up to 10 years being here and for anyone to be in a role for 10 years particularly in pastoral ministry is a remarkable achievement and the church has really borne the blessing of such a long ministry so I do hope you celebrate uh, him and Carol's ministry when they come up to their 10 years in October but the friends this morning we're going to focus on verses 20 to 28 of Matthew chapter 20 that uh, Shirley read to us Uh, And I'm going to pray for us to begin. Heavenly Father, you are so kind as to give us your word available in many translations in the language that we can understand. Uh, Father, this morning as you speak to us through your word, uh, may we have hearts that are quick to listen and quick to obey. In the name of our dear Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, leadership is a topic never very far away from the national headlines. And over the past month, as we're, I'm sure, well aware, parliamentary or former parliamentary speaker, Bronwyn Bishop, has been in the news for all the wrong reasons. Uh, as you know, the funeral was sparked by revelations that she spent more than $5,000 of our money, taxpayers' money, to fund a chopper flight from Melbourne to Geelong rather than take the car. It spawned any number of memes, as I'm sure you saw, particularly if you're on Twitter. Uh, Both sides of politics admitted that, at best, it was a bad look, with even our uh, treasurer, Joe Hockey, saying it didn't pass the sniff test. For us as Joe Public, we were outraged but not surprised. For we just see it as another example of politicians having their snouts in the trough, of living lavishly at our expense, uh, all the time claiming austerity, integrity. Uh, One of the problems for Mrs Bishop was that she never even really appeared that sorry all the while maintaining that what she did was within parliamentary guidelines. That eventually led to her resignation. But I guess that attitude of Mrs Bishop, that sort of guileless attitude, led Madonna King just a few weeks ago in the Brisbane Times to describe Mrs Bishop's leadership as uppity, with a perchant for power and prestige. 
I think that's a bit of a sad summary of someone's leadership, isn't it? To end your time in a leadership role and to be described as uppity, as arrogant, hungry for power and prestige. Dear friends, I ask you this morning, I wonder how people might describe your leadership, your leadership style, how you go about serving in the church or in your workplace or in your family. And particularly for for Dale, whose induction we're celebrating this morning, uh, how might people describe your leadership, not so much now, but when your time comes to be up here on the stage? And be farewell to wherever the Lord may have you in the future. I mean, what legacy are you going to leave? What, what reputation as a leader? Will you be remembered as bossy, authoritarian, uh, strong, weak, gentle, uh, consultative? Well, friends, the issue of leadership isn't just a, a 21st century question. It's also a first century one as well because we we come to Matthew chapter 20, we are on the tail end of Jesus' three-year ministry and just a few weeks out from his crucifixion. And throughout these three years, Jesus had been highly critical of the self-serving attitudes of the religious leaders of Israel, particularly the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In fact, in just a few chapters' time, in chapter 23 of Matthew, Um, Jesus spends the whole chapter denouncing the leadership of the Jews. He describes them as superficial, as proud, as arrogant, as blind. But it is not just the the Jewish leaders, however, who are blind. Jesus' own disciples were as well. Because for the third time in verses 18 and 19 of Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to suffer and die and be killed by the Jewish leaders. Please read with me from verse 18. Where Jesus says, We are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he'll be raised to life. And so in contrast to the self-serving attitudes of the Jewish religious leaders, Jesus says he's going to offer up a very different sort of leadership. (coughs) He'll be a, a leader that gives his life rather than one who takes He'll be one who's come to serve others rather than to be served himself. As he spells out in verse 28, he says, For the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so therefore verses 20 to 28, sort of in the middle of our reading, are all about leadership, about being a leader, about how to be a great leader. Or a bad one. And Jesus says that the big difference between being a a great leader or a poor leader, it's not your people's skills or your temperament. 
or your intellect or your capacity, but rather the state of your heart. For Jesus says that the pathway to greatness as a, as a leader, <coughs> excuse me, the pathway to the greatness in God's kingdom is service to others, not self. That's his big point of the passage, service over self. Or to put it another way, Dale, the, the greatest obstacle to you being a great leader here as the associate pastor at North Pine is letting self get in the way of serving your congregation. And in verses 20 to 28, Jesus takes the opportunity to expose the hearts of his disciples and ours as well and teach two things about leadership that reinforce this truth of service over self. For even after being with Jesus, the master teacher, for three years, the disciples still haven't caught on. They're blind just like the two roadside beggars that Jesus and the disciples meet straight after this incident. (coughs) Those roadside beggars are physically blind, but are a picture of the disciples who were spiritually blind, unable to grasp Jesus' revolutionary model of leadership, of service over self. But you see, the disciples have been blinded by success. In Jesus' sort of growing ministry, the reception by the crowds, the way he'd been able to um, get the better of the Pharisees and other religious leaders, his growing popularity among the masses had, had filled the disciples' minds with images of grandeur, of success, of, of power, even entitlement. Through Jesus, that the kingdom of God was about to be ushered in. Of that they were certain. And they were in the, the box seats, if you like, to get the prime positions. <coughs> be like a, you know, the politicians after their party comes to power. There are positions to be taken, and everyone is after them. They're there to be shared around. Spoils are there to be had, the disciples think. That is until James and John jumped the queue. (coughs) They bring a request through their mother in verse 20. Jesus replies directly in verse 22 and 23 to James and John, which shows where the request is from them. But they send their mum in first to try and butter Jesus up, to try and smooth him over, to try and lower his defences. Verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her two sons and, kneeling down, asked a favour of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. You know, James and John had been part of a Jesus inner sanctum along with Simon Peter. They had been doing their apprenticeship in Jesus' school of leadership, if you like, for three years now, and they feel ready 
to graduate, top of the class, to take on the roles of co-vice presidents in Jesus' kingdom that was about to be unveiled. As such positions will come with great power and with prestige, maybe an oval office overlooking Jerusalem, maybe their own chariot and driver, a personal assistant, direct access to the Son of God, (coughs) and the power to make important decisions over people, over events. And Jesus questions their readiness in verse 22 for are they able to actually take on such positions? Jesus' question exposes their hearts but they are too blind to see what he is doing, what he is unveiling. And so they constantly answer, yes, we are ready. Friends, I wonder whether you've ever uh, done that. You know, agreed to do something or take on a role without really having read the fine print, without realising uh, what you're in for. I remember one time it happened to me, uh, Sue and I, before we had our kids, sometimes we would look to mind uh, kids for other people and uh, to, so the parents could have a night off at the cinemas or go out for dinner, whatever it is. And so one night we agreed to look after some kids for a couple and uh, including they had a young baby. The only problem was that, unlike my wife, I didn't have much experience with kids. And uh, so here we have these three kids and, uh, you know, the baby needed its nappy changed. So I went to change a nappy. Uh, but I didn't sort of know how the nappy stuck together uh, until my wife pointed out there were disposable tabs on the side. But by the time I'd worked that out, the baby was awake. Uh, and so then, put the baby down and started to cry. So what do you do? Well, I think you pick the baby up, I guess. So I went and picked it up and nursed it and cuddled it and it was all happy and put the baby down again, left the room and it would start crying again. And so this cycle continued for the next two and a half hours. <laughs> and so by the time the parents got back, I was exhausted and stressed. <laughs> and I told them what had happened. They said, you know, always does that. But I just leave it for a minute or two and it goes off to sleep. Dull. <laughs> I was naive. I mean, I was well-intentioned. But I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't know what I'd signed up for. Much like James and John, they think they are ready to take on positions and power and authority, but what they don't realise is going to cost them their lives, which Jesus tells him in verse 23 it would. But notice at sort of no time did Jesus discourage James and John's desire to lead. In fact, his first point this morning is that it's not wrong to lead. It's not wrong to want to lead <coughs> and Dale in accepting the leadership position here at North Pine you are demonstrating a desire to lead that in and of itself isn't wrong in fact we need to find that in leaders uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.1 if anyone desires to be an overseer he desires a noble task <laughs> with taking on a leadership position there's got to be a desire to do it we don't go into it with one arm twisted behind our back if you like Yet the question, though, Dale, for you this morning is not do you want to lead, you've answered that, but why do you want to lead? 
What's your motivation? Is it service or is it self? Is it wanting to serve others or is it for self-promotion? You see, Jesus' question had exposed the hearts of James and John and what it revealed wasn't pretty. They were in it for themselves, what they could get out of it. They wanted prestige, they wanted authority at no cost. They were wrongly motivated. But they were not alone. Read with me verse 24. When the ten, that is the ten other disciples, heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. You see, somehow the other disciples got wind of the conversation. And they were indignant. They were really ticked off. Not at James and John's request, but that they had got in first uh, before them. For they all wanted to sit on Jesus' right and left. They wanted to have positions of power, of prestige, of authority. To tell rather than to be told. To be looked up to rather than looking up to others. To make decisions rather than be told decisions. To be that big guy, not the little guy. But James and John had almost headed them off at the pass. And the disciples' reaction to James and John's request exposes their hearts as well. And what it revealed wasn't pretty. And Jesus takes his 12 apprentices aside, I suspect with a fairly heavy heart, And teaches them one great truth about greatness, about leadership. And he says that the pathway to greatness, the right (coughs) motivation for leadership, is service and not self. Jesus says in verse 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, and is give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, at one level, Jesus' teaching in this passage isn't tricky. I mean, to be a, a great leader, to be a, a leader that brings the smile to the face of our Heavenly Father. We need to be a servant leaders, just like Jesus, who did not come to this earth to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Or in the words of Philippians 2.5, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant, Uh, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. We we get that, don't we? Uh, We we get that godly leadership means service over self. We, We nod our heads, we agree with the idea... The problem, friends, is our hearts. 
uh, because our hearts, or at least my heart, wants really to be served, not to serve. At least it wants to be served far more than it wants to serve. I mean, I, I live with the impossible application of these passages. I live with the stupid notion that I can be an effective leader while putting myself first and others second. That I can actually put my needs and my desires ahead of those I have responsibility over. That's the impossible application of this passage. I wonder what servant leadership might look like in practice. What might service over self really look like? What might it look like in my life? How might it work out in your life? Dale, how might you go about serving as associate pastor? How about emptying the rubbish bin after morning tea at church? without anyone noticing, even though it's not your job. How about taking a, a new person to your church, under your wing, introducing them to people, having them around for a meal, helping them settle in? How about taking the time to listen to a fellow congregation member this morning, rather than rush off to morning tea or rush off home? How about telling someone that you will pray for them and actually do it? How about getting up in the middle of the night to attend a sick child rather than leave it to your spouse? How about dealing with a a difficult conflict situation in your relationship or your ministry team or your workplace rather than just ignoring it and hoping it goes away. How about admitting that you made a mistake rather than desperately trying to cover it up? How about doing that little thing that someone should have done but didn't do it and not mentioning it? How about supporting the person who who got that position in the church that you really wanted and supported and supporting their leadership rather than trying to undermine it? How about dealing gently with a colleague or someone on your ministry team who lets you down rather than giving them both barrels? How about being willing to let someone stand down from a ministry position for the sake of their personal circumstances even though it's going to end up resulting in you having to do more work, at least in the short term. How about actively supporting the decisions of your senior pastor, even if they are not the ones you would necessarily have made? How about letting other people speak in a meeting once in a while, rather than always having to have the last word? How about conceding for a change rather than always having to be right? How about saying no to something so you can spend more time with your family? 
How about stopping to think, what's my motivation here? How about praying? Lord, give me the desire to serve as I lead. Now, friends, in verses 17 to 19 of Matthew chapter 20, Jesus had just predicted his death, the greatest act of servanthood possible. In verses 20 to 28, we see James and John, along with the rest of the disciples, show that they have a a self-serving rather than serving heart. They are still spiritually blind to who Jesus is and what he came to do. In verses 29 to 34, Jesus shows that he's able to heal the physically blind and by implication is able to heal the spiritually blind. The biggest hindrance, Dale, to you as a leader or for any of us that wishes to lead will be having a a self-serving rather than a, a serving heart. You know, it's great, you've been here about a month or so, people are nice to you, inviting you for meals, looking after you. It's easy to serve then. The challenge comes in the difficult times. Whether it's difficult because of circumstances here or difficult because of your personal circumstances. When the unpredictable events to come to still have that self-serving attitude then. Almost to the week, uh, three years ago, Dale and I were up in Darwin and we were part of a college mission team. It's exciting. You've got a, a team from college coming next year um, to come. Well, we go on mission every year and it was Dale's first mission and so he was part of the team we took to Darwin. We had a great week. We are based in the church. Lots of ministry there. We are also at the university doing university mission at Charles Darwin University. On our second last day, it was sort of the team day off on the Saturday. And so we had lots of fun, uh, had lunch down at the harbour, and in the afternoon we went to some water slides that were there in Darwin. Even Darwin in August, still 28 degrees sunny, it was a great afternoon. I remember there were three slides. They were pretty tall, uh, a blue, a yellow and a red. Jump in the blue slide, it's fine, just go down, see where you're going. The yellow slide, I guess, was somewhat different, maybe different twists and turns, but you end up at the bottom. It was great fun, even for a 30 or 40 year old. Um, (coughs) But there was a a tube that Dale and I jumped in, so we're both uh, on this sort of tube thing for the red slide. We jump in, and at that point, something very unexpected happens. Because the whole tube was blacked out. The whole, the whole slide. We went down in complete darkness. Unlike the other two slides, we couldn't see where we were going. We didn't know what was going to happen. We're just holding on to this rubber thing for dear life till we get to the bottom. <laughs> so at that point, I mean, we both laughed. Remember the red slide. <laughs> friends, life is like that, isn't it? See, plenty of times we're on the blue slide or the yellow slide. You know, we're going to work, we're taking the kids to school, we'll get our weekly activities. Life is fairly predictable. We can sort of see where things are going. But often with no notice, we suddenly get 
flicked onto the red slide. We get that diagnosis in the afternoon that we never would have predicted in the morning. We get that phone call about a sudden death in our family. Uh, We find out we don't actually have a job. Uh, We find that we actually have an illness that is incurable. Uh, Our marriage hits the rocks. We feel in uncharted territory. We are hurtling in this slide called life, but we don't feel in control. We can't see where it's going. And we are holding on for grim life. Now, pastoral ministry is much like those three slides. There are plenty of times you're on the blue slide and the yellow slide. You've got the regular activities of the week, the preparing for sermons, the discipling people, the meeting with the elders, the pastoral visits, all those sorts of things, which are great. But sometimes, often without warning, you get thrown onto that red slide. It's your meeting with a member of the church who's just received that diagnosis. Or there is a drama in your own family. Whatever it is, at times when you suddenly find yourself feeling out of control or unsure what the path is ahead. It's at those times when the pressure is on. Now, For all of us, that's the challenge of having a, a serving rather than self-serving heart. It's easy when things are good or easier challenges in those unpredictable, difficult times. You know, at Bible College, Dale left a great legacy. Amongst the faculty, amongst the students, he was known as a servant leader. In fact, he was the worthy recipient this year for the inaugural Community Service Award, for the person who was most committed to serving others in the college community. Uh, Dale served quietly, unobtrusively. Uh, It was a great legacy to leave. But Dale, you're in a new situation now, in a new position. You're not a student, you're now a pastor. One day you will be up here being farewelled, maybe in person, maybe in a coffin, I don't know. (laughs) Pastors do die in their pastorates, but either way you'll be farewelled. What sort of legacy are you going to leave? You left a wonderful legacy at college and I encourage you to leave that same legacy here. And so that whenever you are farewelled, the people are so glad that they knew you and had you as their servant pastor. Let us pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, your son set a model which Father none of us will ever be able to attain in its full extent of giving our lives as a ransom for many. And yet, Father, in your uh, kindness 
You give us opportunities to serve as leaders in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church. I pray that for each of us and particularly for Dale. The Father, the motivation will be to serve others even in those most unpredictable times. I pray for my dear brother and his wife, my dear sister. Father, they will leave a lasting legacy, an eternal legacy of good for their ministry here. May they follow in the footsteps of their master who came not to be served but to serve. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.